Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. And proud to be part of a show that's going to outlive another British Prime Minister. I'm Nick Severi. <laughs> Boy, you, you tease him up, Nick, and I, I will hit him out of the park. Uh, more on that later on. On the program today, oh my God, I, I can't even read this like anymore because another mass shooting last week, folks. I feel like we come on air on this program, this is once a week. And every week we lead with another mass shooting that has happened in this country. Uh, last week at a 4th of July parade out in Highland Park, Illinois, Nick and I with the latest on that. Plus, if you maybe lost in the news cycle, didn't hear about the Akron police shooting of Jalen Walker, uh, you will hear about it later on in this show. Nick and I with more on that incident. Um, and then also later in the program, Kate Smith, fantastic senior director over at Planned Parenthood. She's going to be joining us. We're going to discuss what this post Roe v. Wade world kind of looks like now that the Supreme Court decision has been handed down and all the work that is being done by the folks over at Planned Parenthood to help women across the different states with access to abortion. Um, and finally, as Nick mentioned, we bid adieu in our last segment to a prime minister to be named later. First, I say hello to Nick Saveri. Nick. How are you, my friend? How is everything at the Severi household? How's everything in PA? We're good here. You know, we just wrapped up July 4th. Uh, it is Fireworks Central Eastern PA. Oh, Hopefully, yeah. so far, everyone's been safe. Um, Mike, I'm going to be honest with you. When we were texting about the show today and we're talking, we're going to the rundown, you know, of topics, um, you know, Mike had brought up the mass shooting. I have to be honest with everyone here. I blocked it out of my mind. I was aware of it. 
on July 4th, Mike had texted me right around the same time I saw a, uh, an update come in. Um, I feel like I've definitely reached that threshold where I've become numb, where all I can do is sigh, um, recognize that our, our country still can't get this right and will not choose to get it right. Um, so I just was just angry, angry, but numb and just went back to went back to the barbecue and the family and just kind of shook my head. And on Independence Day of all days, some folks lost that to the um, that sense of freedom yeah. that we that we claim we have. Listen, um, I thought I was telling you this off air. Uh, I have a coworker who lives in the town, um, texted him, you know, hey, I heard you live in Highland Park. And he wrote back, we normally go to the parade, but my daughter, you know, she napped around the time that the parade was starting. So we stayed home. And the fact that I had to check on a mundane activity happening in a town that I didn't know this person lived at, like, this is what it's come to, folks. Like, if you're in this category of like, yeah, but that, that's not in my town. Yeah, but that doesn't happen. Like, this is what's happening now. It's happening across regardless of big city, small city, like access to guns. And we're going to play a clip in a second from law enforcement over there in Highland Park. As a matter of fact, let's get into that now, because um, what happened last week at that shooting in Highland Park um, is crazy because this wasn't the first time this guy had gotten on police radar and he had also scouted out another location to do a shooting at in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, If you don't know or haven't been reading about, you know, what happened in Highland Park. First, let's start with this. The Gun Violence Archive has counted 314 mass shootings so far in 2022 alone. Three or more people that die in a mass shooting. Um, Authorities are now saying seven people were killed. About 30 or so were injured in this shooting in Highland Park. The suspect has been charged with seven counts a first-degree murder. His name is Robbie Crimo. He's 21 years old. Police say he's had two run-ins with them in the past, one in April of 2019, which was a suicide attempt. Um, and, and the police were called, I think, I think about a week after that, and they kind of connected him with mental health resources. This is according to NPR. In September of 2019, they responded to a call in which he was threatening to kill everyone in his family. Police confiscated several knives and a sword at that time, but made no arrest. I can't even I, listen. I want to play a clip real quick from uh, the law enforcement officials there. Um, I, I forget uh, who it was. It may have been Christopher Covelli, who's the Lake County Major Crime Task Force spokesperson, or, or it could be the actual sheriff in the town. Um, but take a listen to what they said about this suspect and what he was planning to do that day. And based on where we're at at this point in the investigation, and some of this is still preliminary, so is subject to change as we keep moving forward. But we do believe Cremo pre-planned this attack for several weeks. Uh, He brought a high-powered rifle to this parade. He accessed the roof of a business via a fire escape ladder and began opening fire on the innocent Independence Day celebration goers. The rifle was purchased in Illinois and the information we have thus far is that it appears to have been purchased legally by Cremo. All right, so you heard there a little bit of, he was able to get access to the gun legally. Um, I don't know what Illinois, if they have any red flag laws on the books, I'm not sure, 
But you would think that if they did, um, he would have been on that red flag, just given the two incidents that I mentioned and the run-ins that he had with police. I mentioned he's been charged uh, already with seven counts of first-degree murder, which was uh, already mentioned uh, by prosecutors. And they also said they will likely file dozens of additional charges, obviously, for the people that he injured in this shooting. Um, I don't even know how to transition, Nick, into asking you how you feel about something else that we know this vicious cycle, this vicious um, recidivism that we're having with these shootings. It's, it's, uh, I come on here, I give you the details, we play the soundbite, you give me some takeaways. I, we're going to put up some links to donate to, you know, charities that are doing good work in those areas, but these communities shouldn't have to go through this, man. They should not have to go through this because it's, it's very simple what is happening with all these shootings. There's one common denominator. And if you are of this elk where you're listening to the show as you grip your gun right now and say, my freedom, my freedom, just know that other people are getting access to that gun that you're gripping so tight and they're killing people. And they're killing people in towns where you may know somebody and it could affect somebody you know, that, that intertwines in your life. Um, your takeaways on, on some of this and even what I just said. Yeah, I, I mean, to the point about gun ownership, um, I mean, the, you know, the clip you played again, you know, the term we keep hearing is high powered assault rifle, right? Like we keep coming back to the fact that there were just certain guns, not all, um, that are the weapon. And this was purchased as the person said legally, it looks like in the state of Illinois, uh, person's 21 years, the shooter's 21 years old, you know, the law that just passed, that's, you know, that president Biden just signed, you know, you have to ask yourself, like if that had been in place, you know, does this get prevented? I honestly don't know. Um, as I said at the start, you know, I, I feel numb to it. Um, yeah, and I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know what you do at this point. I mean, what you should do is not allow people to have access to high-powered assault rifles. Period. End of sentence. I do believe in the right to bear arms. I do believe that you should have access. You should be able to have a gun in your home. That's a fundamental right as an American. Do you? But did not have a distinction between the kind of weaponry that people have access to is bananas to me. And it always seems to be the same type of weapon. You know, Mike, you mentioned the fact that knives were confiscated in the person's home. And the question I come back to is, you know, when a person buys a weapon, where's the middle ground to say, okay, maybe in respect to the Second Amendment, yes, this person should have access to a gun. But at the same time, should there be some way of saying maybe there are certain guns this person should not have access to? I mean, again, at the end, at the end of the day, my non-negotiable is assault rifle ban, period, end of sentence. There's no reason. No American should have access to one. But it's got to be some way of having some middle ground that says that like this person has been flagged you know, as, as being problematic and they should not have the ac- access to a weapon. And it's, it's the only thing you can ever say here. Um, but it's stunning to me that a person, you know, in their home has you know so many knives clearly this person has demonstrated the fact that they should not have access to a gun but they were able to legally purchase one so at time of purchase what in the hell actually happens what is being checked to for anything to come up and say hey this came up on your record and in most situations you know to get a car to register your kid for school like there's always things you have to go through to show evidence that you should be able to do this when you get to enroll my child in, in the new school she's in, um, you got to produce evidence that you're a resident of the town, utility bills, car payments, all this stuff. Like you got to generate paperwork. What in the hell does he generate to make this purchase? 
doesn't seem like a whole lot. Nick, I want to transition because one thing I forgot to mention about this story, and it feeds in perfectly into our next story. Uh, the suspect, Robert Crimo, was arrested around 6.30 p.m., about eight hours after the shooting, following a police chase in the north suburbs. This kid left a gun at the scene, a long rifle at the scene, had one in the car with him, and he was taken into custody without incident. No shots fired. He was fleeing. They were chasing after him. And it leads perfectly into the other story that may have gotten lost after all this happened. And you may have seen the protest that happened in Akron, Ohio. If you don't know the story about what happened to 25-year-old Jalen Walker, who suffered at least 60 wounds in a fatal police shooting where police fired at him over 90 times, eight police officers firing their weapons, following a vehicle pursuit and a short foot chase of the suspect, 90 shots. Incident began around 1230 AM last Monday. Police say Walker fled as officers attempted to initiate a traffic stop for traffic and equipment violations. I'm going to mention, and I've said this before on the show, you know how much I hang on to that race card and try my hardest to not play it. Jalen Walker is an African-American male, 25 years old. It's 1230 at night, and he's being stopped at a routine traffic stop for traffic and equipment violations, whatever the hell that means. I have no idea. And about 40 seconds after this pursuit began of Walker, when he got out of the car, police say a gunshot was fired from Walker's vehicle. Walker got out of his car. He fled on foot. Officers deployed tasers. They were unsuccessful in subduing Walker. And then apparently they shot him and discharged their weapons. At least one officer can be heard near the end of the police body cam videos that were released shouting ceasefire. I want to play a clip from the police chief uh, who was saying something to the parents uh, during the presser because there were a bunch of officials from Akron there, the local police chief, the mayor, the head of the NAACP chapter all gave a presser last week as they were unveiling some of the body cam footage of what happened to Jalen Walker that night from the eight police officers that fired at him. And the police chief said something, and again, if you're not watching us on YouTube, you won't be able to know this, but the police chief is white. And he said something there. I want you to take a listen to what he said. And and I, I truly believe this man to be good man, good law enforcement officer, earnest in what he's saying. But it it left me with some type of bad feeling, more on the opposite side. Take a listen to what the police chief said. Uh, I cannot imagine the sense of loss, the pain that they're going through right now. As Marco mentioned, you know, in his personal life, my youngest is 25 years of age as well. And I cannot imagine what life would be like without my son. So again, Mrs. Walker, Jada, I'm very sorry for your loss. But I want to personally thank you. I want to personally thank you for the way in which you have been dealing with this situation. You have asked for peace in an environment that is ripe for aggression and violence. You have asked for trust and let this process move forward. 
if Jalen reflects the character of this family, which I continually heard that he did, you raised a good son. And again, my deepest condolences and sympathies. What the hell is that? Like I mentioned, I, I was watching a little bit of the presser. And again, I find a guy to be sincere and earnest. Uh, if you saw his body language, his, his tone, his infliction, you could kind of pick up on, you know, he, he's meaning what he says. The problem is he's a white guy giving you an analogy of his 25-year-old son who doesn't have to worry about getting pulled over at 1230 at night. I've been there. I've been pulled over at 1230 at night and scared as hell in South Carolina. I've been there. It's, it's not a good feeling when an officer asks you to step out and his other two boys roll up on you and you've done nothing wrong, gone 72 and a 70. Okay? 72 and a 70. You want a letter of the law and say, hey, you're speeding? Give me a freaking break. Um, but I heard that and I, I don't know, something about it just kind of, you know, it just rubbed me the wrong way because it's like, sir, I appreciate that, but I would appreciate you actually train your officers better. I would appreciate that your officers understand a routine traffic stop at 1230 at night does not need to invoke eight police officers. And again, whatever nets out from the investigation, I'm in agreement on that part of letting that process play out. Let's not jump to conclusions. I don't know the specifics around if he had a weapon in his vehicle, if that's you know police union already, Akron Police Union is saying that the use of force was justified, including the number of shots. Uh, and, and their statement read the decision to deploy lethal force as well as the number of shots fired is consistent with use of force protocols and officers training. Then your training's terrible. You, you don't need 90 shots to take out a 25 year old kid running away from you. you. You don't. I'm sorry. You don't. You know that. And we know that. OK, I don't want to hear this hard job nonsense thing. It is a hard job. Go get a different job. If you can't handle it, go get a freaking different job. This is not that hard, man. The people that are listening to this program that are police officers, I respect everything that you do. If you if you need to shoot somebody 90 times as they're running away from you when you're the only one with the gun, and they don't got one. Give me a fucking break. Sorry, man. Give me a fucking break. I, I, end the sentence. I don't give a shit. Like, that's ridiculous, man. How many more of these do we have to see? And, and there is something to, you know, well, the media only does this and shows you these incidents and they don't show you that more white people are shot. at. Cool, man. Great. Those people are living. And, and and they're taken without incident. OK, that's why we don't hear about it, because they're taken without incident and they're alive and well today. And and Jalen Walker, 25 year old at 1230 at night, is getting pulled over, by the way, not speeding, which was mentioned in the thing. I think there was reports that he didn't even go faster than like 40 miles an hour on some road or something like that. So he wasn't speeding. And I don't know what the actual enforcement of these traffic violations were. Still, details are coming out about that. But uh, I want to get your takeaways when you heard that, because. I feel like that incident has gotten lost in the shuffle because and right and, and, and to some extent, rightfully so, with what happened in Highland Park and people innocently losing their lives, doing something so mundane as going to a Fourth of July parade. But when you heard about the Jalen uh, Walker uh, incident, what were some initial thoughts, reactions? Yeah, similar to you, um, you know, the shooter in Buffalo, um, you know, we had the, the shooter in Highland Park. Um, we have a tendency for mass shooters in this country, unless they take their own life, tend to go peaceably uh, with the police. Um, at the same time, we have incidents 
Philando Castile comes to mind. George Floyd comes to mind. Um, of black people that just for no reason seem to get the more ire from the police department. You know, the officers in Uvalde approached hesitantly, you know, to to the shooter of a, of a school. I didn't see that hesitancy in Akron. Um, you know, the chief or the official you you know whose uh, quote you played um, talks about you know commending the family for trusting the process uh, for not and by the way the coded language here is he's thankful they're not inciting a riot because that off that chief is more concerned about what could be allegedly in terms of rioting and looting and all this is code for angry black people god damn it they should be angry we should all be angry once again we have another person gunned down senselessly because of poor training by the police department some will argue that the system is working exactly the way it's supposed to you know the when the union says the police union says that you know lethal force was justified i believe them i believe that the protocol that they have is someone flees a car and the biases of these officers come running out and say that person's a threat even though we only see their back we don't see a gun we see we know nothing we just know that that person's black and running away from us so you get to empty the chamber to the tune of eight officers doing it similar to mass shootings in this country sadly i'm because i i'm angry and numb at the same time when i hear yet another black person that is just murdered by the police department mike what you described to me is a firing squad the difference of the firing squad is typically you get to you know have a you know eyes tied up cigarette hanging out of your mouth and you're resigned to your fate this poor man's fate was hope was not to be murdered by the police department but there we are yeah uh that was by the way chief steve Milet, who was um that you heard there on video and, and and talking about his son i mean excuse me on audio talking about his son um more on that case more on as the highland park case evolves we'll be discussing more of that with correspondents and and people that were on the ground in highland park we have somebody coming on in the coming weeks that that was actually in the area um and then also everything that's happening with akron we'll be following that that story and anything that breaks from there nick and i will discuss it uh but when we come back after the break i mentioned this before and we loved having her on the show kate smith senior director of news content over at planned parenthood she's going to break down the misconceptions of what planned parenthood does and all the good work that they're doing state to state to help women right now in this fight and this battle for reproductive rights. Um, Kate Smith, when we come back after the break. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Nick, as always, our podcast is sponsored by the good folks at Athletic Greens. Athleticgreens.com backslash emerging. Best place to go for that nutritional health. But you know what? We're going to do something different here because this is like a 90s infomercial. I'm Ron Pupil right now. And we have a walking testimonial of how good Athletic Greens is 
for your immune system, your gut health. And his name is Nicholas Saveri. Nick Saveri, tell the people how good Athletic Greens has been to you. It's not good. It's phenomenal. Oh, um, recently, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't drank a whole lot lately. You know, raising two kids, obviously, you know, you can't wake up hungover anymore. I'm I was going to say, man, yeah, I was going to say you should be drinking more. But, but, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> there's that too. But right. uh, one of the things that's great about Athletic Greens, of the many great properties, is restoration. You know, the other day, it was Father's Day weekend. My parents were over. had a couple of glasses of wine, you know, you know different than normal lately. Um, next day, I woke up and you, you could feel it. Again, 40s drinking, not the best. Right. And yeah, I had my shot in the morning. Again, it's just, you know, you get the little spoon that comes in the bag. They make it super easy. Eight ounces of water, or in my case, actually between eight and 12 ounces. Anyway, um, you just drink that empty stomach immediately. Those effects that we know all so well since our 20s, gone. Gone. No headache. Just felt recharged. That with my cup of coffee, like you're just good. You're good for the day. So, you know, the properties in Athletic Greens have always been helpful. I'm almost done with my first bag. I'm excited to get my second. And we've talked about packaging before, the colors, the sp- you know, the spoonful. It's it works magic, honestly. See, that's a testimonial right there, folks. And look, look, if you're asking yourself, what is Athletic Greens? These guys talk about it all the time. Athletic Greens with one delicious scoop of AG1. You're absorbing, just like Nick gave you in that example, 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that are going to help you start your day right. And this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, the energy recovery, focus, and aging for our over 40-year-old Nick Saveri with two kids chasing them around the house. Folks, listen, right now it's time to reclaim your health, armed that immune system with a convenient daily nutrition just one scoop and a cup of water. The man just told you. You don't need, you don't need to listen to anybody else. Nick Saveri just told you. That's it. No need for all these different pills and supplements out there. And to make it easy for listening to this show and being a loyal listener, can we please talk? Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, five free travel packs with that first purchase. All you have to do, we've said this a bunch, go to athleticgreens.com backslash emerging, E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G to take advantage of this amazing offer and take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. She works over at Planned Parenthood as a senior director of news content, and that is Kate Smith joining us. Kate, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys. Kate, you know, um, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff here. All this, all the work that Planned Parenthood's doing, um, the decision that came down, obviously, uh, a couple of weeks back from the Supreme Court and all the different trigger laws that went to effect, everything that's happening in the different states. The first thing I wanted to get from you is um, Nick and I are both girl dads. We're both raising. We both have two daughters each. I don't know. And they're they're younger ages, all of them under the age of seven. I don't know how I would feel. Um, seeing what's happening right now unfolding in this country play out where a woman's right to choose what she does with her body has been taken away in a multitude of states. I wanted to ask you, as somebody who kind of lives this dual life where you are a woman and also you work for a company that is responsible for helping women get access to, to, you know, whatever reproductive care that they, that they feel that they can have with their body. 
when you heard the decision, when you knew that the draft was released, you know, back in December or the questions that were happening during the Mississippi case, what were some of the emotions that kind of came up for you? And, and how have you kind of channeled that into your work and your personal life? That's a really interesting question. And I would actually um, back that up all the way to September, which is when you saw Texas, their ability to, they had a six week abortion ban. And I had covered abortion policy and sexual reproductive health and women's issues for CBS news for a long time. And, you know, seeing, and it was all in the hypothetical. It was all like, you know, an abortion ban gets passed, but doesn't get implemented or, you know, all of these kind of crazy laws that didn't have real impact. And um, seeing Texas actually be able to implement what was truly an unthinkable abortion ban and seeing patients in real time experiencing that, even with Roe in place, it was, um, it was, it was, I don't want to say the word unbelievable because, you know, we had spent so much time saying that this was a very real potential could happen, but it was, it was a gut punch, right? I mean, it was devastating. It was infuriating. And, you know, seeing people and especially, you know, communities of color, low income communities and seeing those are the ones getting just impacted so severely by this disproportionately. Um, it's actually what led me to talk to Planned Parenthood because it was kind of, you saw all these things happening. And at the time I wasn't at CBS, I was working um, in communications elsewhere. And it was it was a really big moment for me because it was one of those moments where it was like, it became so real and so obviously real so fast. So, I mean, as an individual gut punch, disbelief stunned, um, but then kind of professionally, it led me to go want to do something about it, to be honest. Yeah. To that point about doing something, you know, we saw, I mean, obviously what Texas did, obviously what you're doing in your work now with the organization, um, you know, one of the things we like to do on this show is provide space for literacy, what we call literacy moments. Kate, demystify for all of us Planned Parenthood. Obviously, when we get into the conversation, the arguments from the right to life, Planned Parenthood tends to be a target of, of that movement. I, I would like to say a movement ignorance is what I, the word I tend to operatively use. Uh, but with that fervor, Planned Parenthood almost always is a target. Can you just take us for a moment through just really the mission for Planned Parenthood? What is the organization all about? Uh, and what is its impact on the support of women's reproductive health? Absolutely. And thank you so much for asking that question. Um, Planned Parenthood, well, let's back up. Planned Parenthood deals with sexual and reproductive health in all capacities. And the reason for that is because sexual and reproductive health has always been a target of, you know, conservative lawmakers, whether it's, you know, access to birth control, whether it's access to abortion, even like, you know, some sort of like, you know, prenatal care and things like that. It's always been a target. Women's bodies have always been a target for conservative politicians. We know that. So unfortunately, what that means is that insurance plans, hospitals, you know, family physicians, often women's health care and sexual and reproductive health care gets cut out of that equation. So that's where Planned Parenthood comes in. We're an almost 100-year organization that focuses exclusively on sexual and reproductive health, and especially helping those people that are on the margins who aren't able to get that care in their, you know, via their OBGYN. I mean, I think what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, a lot of insurance carriers don't cover birth control. A lot of insurance carriers don't cover abortion. They don't do all these things that are just 
healthcare and things that women and other people who can become pregnant need in their life. And so we kind of fill that gap and focus exclusively on that. And those are through our incredible network of affiliates that are all over the country. So that's the Planned Parenthood affiliates. And then additionally, we have our, um, our political group that helps us and supports our ability to keep doing so. Often you see Planned Parenthood attorneys in the courts, right? So, I mean, one of the biggest abortion rights cases at the Supreme Court, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, of course, right? Um, so what we're also doing on the other end of the spectrum is we are defending our patients' rights to access that abortion or that birth control or that gender-affirming care. Um, but at the heart of it, Planned Parenthood is all about empowering our patients to live their life the way they choose to live it, regardless of what you know their insurance carrier says or what other people say. So it's really all about just empowering women and other people who can become pregnant and men too. We don't we do a lot of men's care as well. So it's really all about empowering people to you know have control over their bodies and live their lives to the fullest. And I'll, I'll follow up that with a question around your your work with the organization in really helping to craft the message and making sure all of us, you know, including these hosts, are informed about the work of the organization. From an outsider's perspective, it seems like the momentum, the argument for the right to life has I would grown exponentially or things have shifted. It, like We seem to be in a place, and I, I bring this up only because I remember seeing uh, anti-abortion activists you know, at the, at the Supreme Court, younger women, surprisingly, that had signs that had talked about being in a post-Roe America, which again, stunning for me. But um, what's been your viewpoint from just where you sit with you know, being able to support the messaging for Planet Parenthood, but seeing the opposite messaging and how it's taking hold in spaces that we didn't think were possible previously. But is that a fair assessment that the anti-abortion message seems to have grown, evolved, permeated further into states than, than we've seen in previous generations? Yeah, I mean, I think you saw a big shift in the way the anti-abortion groups crafted their message, right? So, and and I should say this, I'm this is coming from my experience as a reporter covering these movements. Um, previously, up until quite recently, the anti-abortion, you know, the anti-abortion movement was all about like religion, right? It was these these people come from like a fundamentalist Christian point of view where they don't like abortion and they don't think anyone should be able to have abortion. Okay. Well, obviously, if you live in America, that's you, you can't create laws based on your religion. You have freedom from religion, right? So it was kind of a non-starter in, in terms of like it gaining like large a large popularity or even kind of like a real assessment to be able to go after Roe with an inherently religious argument, right? So you saw kind of this shift towards trying to root themselves in scientific scientific messaging, um, all of the air quotes possible. <laughs> um, and what that looks like is rather than talking about God and Jesus and all of like the Christian values of why they believe what they believe, they came up with some very, I mean, look, like, let's put our cards on the table, very successful, clever messaging about why they wanted the bands that they did. And I think the biggest example of that would be the so-called heartbeat bans, right? So these were a, a series of anti of anti-abortion bans, right? That really gained popularity in, in 2019, and they called themselves heartbeat bans. But if you read the state legislation, they redefined what heartbeat means literally on the very first page. You, you can look this up. This isn't just this isn't me telling you this. Um, 
And they re they redefined it as kind of like this like electrical cardiac activity that happens around six weeks. And so when you're when you're thinking about how they really picked up steam, there's a few things going on. It's that messaging that shift really away from religion. And like, let's be honest and, and clear, like they still are very much based in religion. They just realize that that can't be the public, the public view of it, right? That will not work. So kind of the messaging and shifting it over to that. That the, the quote unquote science again, not real science, even they know it's not real science, otherwise, they would feel the need to redefine all these scientific terms. Um, but then again, you have to also like look at the Supreme Court's makeup, right? So, if you're looking at a four five or five four ideology on the court, you're probably not going to do anything with bro, but you saw an incredible momentum right after Justice Kavanaugh was appointed. And you saw an even bigger momentum after um, Justice Barrett was put on the court. So I think it's like those two things. There was like a messaging change that was inherently more successful for them and easier to palette. And then on the other side, there were actual real, real pathways to what they wanted to do, which, you know, when there's a real pathway in place, it's much easier to energize the base. But I have to throw this out there, the support for legal abortion has actually only increased. So, you know, polling from like Gallup or, you know, non-partisan polling does show that the support for legal abortion has only increased in the past 10 years. Um, so even though you're kind of, you're seeing this, these very vocal anti-abortion activists, it's, I, I would call them a, a vocal minority um, that have just become more vocal with those pathways in place. Jim mentioned Kate uh, Bloomberg News, Financial Times, CBS News, so very accredited in the journalistic space, way beyond Nick and I, uh, and that's why we have her on the show. Um, Kate, I want to stay on that because you mentioned a bunch of things there in terms of media coverage, and I mentioned to you off air how we saw you on on uh, Reliable Sources with Brian Stelter over on CNN Sundays at 11, and I can't help but think as a former news producer myself that you know... Um, the media's coverage of some of this, where do you net out as a former reporter? Because now you went in-house to an org, like you said, to kind of control the messaging. But where do you net out where the media has played a role in terms of making this issue either divisive or the lack of understanding about certain things? Because at the end of the day, it should be about a right for a woman to choose what she does with her body. There should be nobody legislating what you do with your body. Point blank. Like this is not, again, nothing science rooted or anything like that. This is you want to take it as Mike Leon's opinion. That's fine. It's a majority opinion. Like you mentioned, that people should have access to this. So where do you feel that the media has either struck out or maybe gotten some hits and, and, and made a dent in like the messaging part of this? Like, where do you net out? And that as, as someone who used to be in the media space, you know, doing some of this reporting on some of these topics, like you mentioned. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I, I think I don't want to you know, speak negatively about all of the incredible reporters that cover this issue, because as from my experience, covering this issue is I've covered other beats in my career. I started off as a municipal bond reporter. I did finance and hedge funds. And this is by far the most difficult beat I have ever covered in my life. And it, a lot of it is, you know, the nuance, but then also it's it's all of the flack that you get. If you don't use the term pro-life, which by the way, AP style says that you should not use the word pro-life. So you're just, that's not an opinion. It's just, you know, normal 
journalistic standards is that you should not use that term. If you don't use that term, be prepared for a flood of terrible DMs, horrible harassment online. I've got regular death threats constantly. My security was always a problem covering this issue. So I don't want to speak poorly about anyone who's covering this because it's difficult. But the inherent problem is the way it's presented. Think about like any abortion story you've seen on network news, for example, they always like lead in the story with like the debate of our generation or like this divisive issue. And the reality is the facts, the facts of the matter are that it's really not this like controversial issue. It's 80% of Americans believe that abortion should be legal um, in some capacity. Um, recent polling from actually CBS, my alma mater, said that only 9% of Americans want their state to ban abortion. 9%. So why are we covering it? Is this like, well, this side says this and that side says this. There, it's not really that. It's here, 91% of people don't want their state to ban abortion and 9% do. And the reason why I bring that up and why I bring up polling is because that should be the way you're framing these issues, right? It's not, I think there's like, it's like journalistic malpractice to present these, frame these stories in a 50-50 way, right? Like have the doctor here and then have the activist there and clean it up nice and tight. You have a two and a half minute package. No, that's, I think that totally misses the point because that doesn't account for the fact that 91% of people actually are, agree with the doctor and only 9% agree with this fringe activist. And that doesn't even take into account that we're putting up an activist whose entire life's work is to try to ban abortion against a doctor who spent over 10 years understanding how reproductive systems in the human body work. I mean, that's in and of itself, it's a completely ridiculous comparison. And TV, news, network, newspapers, everyone does this. But then you also include the polling. And I think the reason I bring this all up is because you know, there's obviously the polling, but then what I'm really interested in is the, like the perception. So if you ask someone in the street, like, hey, how many Americans do you think support the right to abortion? They probably wouldn't get to eight and 10 because we present it as so different in the media. And I think people get nervous to share their support. And so when we talk about how did we get to this point, how did we get so far? And I think I think it's because it's very, unless you're reading the polling and you're super deep into it, I would guess that not as many people realized that also agreed with them that they were actually in the majority by not wanting Roe versus Wade to get overturned and by not wanting their state to ban abortion and by believing abortion should be legal. Well I love said. that point. Yeah, well said. <laughs> really well said. It's not 50 50, it's 91 9. That should be the title of this episode. <laughs> right? Uh, I, I will do something about that. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, shifting this to the conversation of help uh, for the organization that you represent. Um, for the support of women's reproductive rights. Um, these, there's no one, it's hard to argue that we are not experiencing dark days right now. Um, what can we, I'm going to do something I you know, normally don't like to do in broadcasting, but I'm going to ask you a two-part question. Part one is what can people do right now to currently support an organization like Planned Parenthood that it's fighting the good fight for reproductive rights? Um, but at the same time, if you are in a state like Texas, um, where it has become increasingly difficult, if not impossible to get an abortion, what options do you currently have? So let's go with the patient question first. If you are in a situation where you live in a state where abortion is no longer legal, you can go to abortionfinder.org and they will help you figure out what your options are. Um, so abortionfinder.org, like 
tattoo it everywhere, put it on a billboard. Um, in terms of what, if you're a supporter and what you can do to help, there's a few different answers. So the first answer is get involved. You know, we were just talking about how I don't, like people don't realize that they're in the majority about if they use support the right to abortion, right? So the best way to do that right now is like, go join a protest, go, you know, I know, I know it's lame, but like, you know, post something on your social media where there's all sorts of different ways that you can get involved and like show up to say that you don't agree with what's going on. You would, you believe in having power over your body, right? Um, you can find out about all sorts of different activations and protests um, on bandsoff.org. Um, so that's like a really comprehensive place where you can find anything that's in your local community and get involved. So that's a really, really big piece about doing this, right? Show that you are in the majority, you know? Um, dismantle this idea that this is a 50-50 issue because it is not, but let's make sure it is impossible to ignore that fact, right? Um, the second thing that you can do is you can donate, obviously. So I would recommend uh, donating to an abortion fund. So abortion funds in, especially like in states where um, access has been completely cut off or, or severely cut off, what these abortion funds do is they actually work with individual patients and help them overcome those obstacles so they can access the procedure. So um, I know we like say, okay, abortion's banned, it's really hard to get, but like when you really think about all the different obstacles that you need to overcome to get access. So we're talking about obviously the travel. I mean, like look at gas prices right now. So imagine if you have to travel 300 miles to go get a procedure, that's really expensive. Um, Childcare costs, the average abortion patient already has a child. So you're thinking about childcare costs, time off of work, um, in a lot of situations, like the patient has to spend the night. So a hotel food, I mean, these costs add up really quickly. And then like, you're not even talking about the cost of the procedure, right? So, um, abortion tends to cost like starts at around and assuming this isn't your insurance covers it, but starts generally around $500 and it just gets more and more expensive from there. So, you know, I, I feel like there's always that viral story that comes out that the average American doesn't have $500 for a financial emergency, right? Well, this is minimum $500. So, you know, abortion funds really, really are so critical in helping patients and in a very tangible, really direct way. Um, and when I talk about giving, I should also mention that rage giving is amazing. If you were like, you know, blindly mad and you gave money, that is awesome. But what is really, really impactful is if you can set up a recurring donation. So like, you know, $5 once a month and it just gets, taken out of your bank account, if that's, if that's available to you, if that's possible. Um, that makes a really big difference because the reality of this is that we're not going to fix this next month. We're not going to fix this in October. Um, this is going to be a really, really long fight. So setting up that infrastructure to help these patients um, is really, really critical. And tangential to that, my final thing of how you can help is we talk about how states are banning abortion. And we estimate that about 26 states will likely uh, ban abortion by kind of once all the dust settles in the in this post row world, right? About 26 states. Another way of thinking about that is that 24 states are now absorbing 26 states, double the amount of patients that they serve. And these are 
these are small clinics. These aren't, you know, these aren't these like big hospitals that can handle that influx of patients. It means that there's a lot, lot, lot more work to be done. They're extending, you know, I've talked to these clinics, they're extending their hours. These doctors are like working seven days a week. So they need volunteers more than ever before. And there's a million different ways you can volunteer, whether it's clinic escorting or, you know, you know, help inside the clinic, whatever your capacity is, every little bit really, really helps because those clinics that are obviously the ones that have to shut down, it's, it's heartbreaking, but the ones that are still there, they need your help more than ever before. So those are kind of some ways that people can help as, as a supporter. I can see now why Planned Parenthood gave her this title and brought her in-house because <laughs> she does fantastic work uh, sending out and spreading out the messaging from Planned Parenthood, Kate Smith, the Senior Director of News Content over there. Kate, I can't thank you enough, not only for sharing uh, your personal story on, on how this kind of affected you, but all the work that you guys are doing over at Planned Parenthood. And you can go into our show links page. Some of the uh, links there that, that Kate mentioned will be available in our show notes page if you want to click on that. Kate, thank you so much for coming on, on the podcast. Continued success to you. Please stay safe. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Nick, today's sponsor of the program is EJ Gift Cards. EJGiftCards.com is the easiest way to buy and sell gift cards. You need to buy a last minute present for a friend or a family member. Go to EJGiftCards.com because they have hundreds of brands to choose from, from food options like Panera, Red Lobster, Olive Garden, apparel like Forever 21, Gap, Nordstrom's and more. And what makes EJ Gift Cards amazing is, Nick, let me ask you a question. You ever get a gift card from someone to a store that you know you're not going to shop there? Oh, all the time. <laughs> and and then you can't do anything about it. You're stuck, right? That's exactly. Yeah. So you take that gift card, Nick, right now. Go to ejgiftcards.com. Enter in the gift card numbers, the dollar value. You get an offer in seconds to buy the gift card. How easy is that? Come on. It's that simple. That's that's awesome. Right? <laughs> I'm trying to get rid of some of these gift cards. It's great. <laughs> Head to our show notes page right now. You'll see a link there for ejgiftcards.com. You can get offers, discounts, and more on buying and selling gift cards today. Head to our show notes page, ejgiftcards.com. All right. Our thank yous there to Kate Smith, Senior Director of News Content over at Planned Parenthood. Kate said a bunch of things there. Um, but like I mentioned, first and foremost, plannedparenthood.org. If you want to go there, make a donation. She mentioned a recurring donation. If, if you've got that, um, Planned Parenthood helps with literacy, education on reproductive rights and uh, reproductive health, excuse me, everything. You can get birth control there. You know, obviously we talked about the narrative of like how it's only a place for abortions. No folks, that's not, that's not only what they do and they continue their fight you know, across these states, there's going to be lawsuits and challenges. Um, what were some of your takeaways from from this indicate there? Because the personal stuff, um, you know, kind of hit me. And then uh, she, we were talking with her off air about something that she mentioned about the common person who d goes to get an abortion and the statistic around that. I mean, that was kind of eye opening. You know, uh, what were some of your takeaways from from Kate? Definitely eye opening. Um, what Mike's referring to is a and I, I hope you all caught this as listeners or viewers, um, you know, the average person, when Kate talks about when Planned Parenthood, or when we all have this conversation of someone who's getting an abortion in the US, is a woman already with children. 
And that's an important detail to remember because it takes away this concept of teenage pregnancy and like everything we tried, everything that's trying to be thrown into this conversation about about reproductive rights and who is the person getting an abortion. That it was, and it's so funny because it was such a casual nugget that she dropped because she knows that th- that data so well, being a part of that organization. But to to two men, to two to two folks outside of this conversation, outside in the sense of we don't work for Planned Parenthood, um, mind blowing. Because it, it, it there's a lot of storytelling that we have to disrupt in this conversation. And I thought Kate, again, it was so funny, it was so casual the way she did it. But that was that was the first thing that stood out to me is an important demographic detail. The next thing that came out was that breakdown of when we're having this conversation about the anti-abortion argument, where the media has a tendency, I'm not even going to try to belabor it. I mean, the point is what she brought up is an important detail. On a television show, You know, when we have these two different competing arguments there to the viewer or listener, it assumes that these are two equally weighted arguments, but there's no data in this country that tells you there's equal weight. Right. Kate brought up, I think, I believe the number was 91% in favor of some form of an abortion versus the 9%. So when we have two folks on television screens or podcasts or what have you trying to balance this out, it's for it's for theater. It's the professional wrestling thing that we always talk about on this show. I was going to um, say, we yeah. mentioned it um, when we were talking about the Canadian truckers and, and 83% yes. of Canadians are vaccinated. Yep. It's like, why are we focusing on 17% of people? that are being a nuisance. And I'm so glad you just brought up vaccinations. Mike, something we've heard a lot, you know, in the way we both prospectively consume information and news is the argument that anti-vaxxers started to co-opt from the from the pro-choice folks about my body, my choice. And Mike, you've done an excellent job of breaking of disrupting that. And I'm going to come back to that here. When we have this conversation about a woman's right to choose, regardless of her decision, it has no impact beyond herself and potentially a partner. When you choose to not get a vaccine, you at the time, and let me be clear on this. I looked at the data recently from the Washington Post. The number of deaths continue to reduce. The percentage right now of folks who are fully vaccinated in this country is at 67%. That continues to be fantastic. So what we're really talking about here is, th- is only 33% of people um, who are not at all. But and even that may be skewed because who knows what people percentage of people have at least one shot, right? right? But that argument trying to bring my body, my choice into it was always, always a fallacy. <laughs> and it was this idea of, well, it's similar to pro-choice people. I get to choose what I do in my body. Yes, Kyrie, that's fine. But understand that when we tell you we don't want you in public spaces, we ask you to wear a mask and to respect you know, the health of all of us, it's because you choose to be a threat to all of us at the time. It can't be co-opted for from the pro-choice argument. And that's what we saw. And I was so glad when Kate came on, because when we have this conversation about a woman's body, that's when we're getting into the, that's when choice truly matters. And it's truly at stake. Right. You don't have a constitutional right to be a point guard for the Brooklyn Nets or whatever team he's going to destroy next. Um, let's move on. Uh, as you hear the music in the background, as you as you hear Boys to Men, we've invoked them before. Thank you to Nathan, Sean, and Juan Ye, uh, because Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of England, has resigned. Nick, um, I was reading earlier today about uh, his resignation and the controversies and scandals that the prime minister 
had, as you hear my British accent try to come through faintly. Um, there are some funny scandals and some symmetrical things that Boris Johnson did, has done, is doing that sound eerily similar to the 45th president of the United States, uh, Donald J. Trump. But first, let's hear from the man himself as he announced his resignation last week at 10 Downing Street, if you don't know that location out there in, in, in England. Um, I don't know why I keep doing the accent, but take a listen to Prime Minister Boris Johnson as he decided to resign last week. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. And I've agreed with Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of our backbench MPs, that the process of choosing that new leader should begin now. And of course, I'm immensely proud of the achievements of this government, from getting Brexit done to settling our relations uh, with the continent for over half a century, uh, reclaiming the power for this country to make its own laws in Parliament, getting us all through the pandemic, delivering the fastest vaccine rollout in Europe, the fastest exit from lockdown, and in the last few months, leading the West in standing up to Putin's aggression in Ukraine. I know that there will be many people who are relieved and uh, perhaps quite a few who will also be disappointed. And I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I don't I, like that's funny. But I, it was the name of one of our episodes. If you if you recall back, that was the breaks. <laughs> And the fact that he said that as like a sign off, I'm not sure if that was at the end of the conference. The press was about six minutes long. Um, a lot of people are asking why he resigned. He was starting to feel pressure. He was getting some folks within his cabinet that were starting to resign. It was revealed that Johnson lied about not knowing that uh, somebody that he recently, I think it was Chris Pincher that was a, a relative nobody outside of Westminster circles. This is according to uh, a British paper um, was like kind of like the last straw. And he had a reputation for groping men and he became deputy chief chief whip. Uh, there's so many controversies that, and I'm, I'm using air quotes for those of you not watching on YouTube that prime minister Johnson kind of went under. Um, he was, he was fired as a junior minister for lying about an affair he spent tax money to further the ambitions of his uh, alleged American mistress, Jennifer Curry. Um, he obviously, the COVID scandal that, that has been you know, publicized over there where he threw a party during the lockdowns that he enforced <laughs> uh, and, and had people over. Um, I forget how that, that all went down, but some of, these, some of these scandals that have forced him to resign in this country would get laughed at because- we literally had the previous president and stuff that's still happening investigation wise into what happened on January 6th and, and, and the attempted coup that happened in this country unfolded in this country. And there was no resignation there. Uh, and this guy threw a COVID party during lockdown and, and, uh, and obviously appointed some people that people didn't like. What, what were some of your takeaways of, as we sign off here for the listeners? Uh, what were some of your takeaways when you heard that Prime Minister Johnson uh, was resigning? Well, first, first, it's um, it's the third victim, you know, and prime minister, uh, prime minister wise uh, of Brexit, you know, in twenty sixteen, fifty one point nine percent of people voted for it. Um, 
and it was revealed at some point people didn't even take it seriously thought that you know whatever this is never going to change we're you know the, the the england will continue to be members of the eu so what the difference does it make and it turned out to be by a fraction led to the um the stepping down of david cameron at the time as british uh prime minister theresa may then eventually came um on board then resigned and now boris johnson we're looking at three prime ministers who've all been influenced by brexit and the question for the conservative party in england is where do you go now um it began with johnson talking about you know stepping away as head of the party but ultimately that was it's a cop out like you're you're gonna stop being prime minister but mike you bring up a really good point man you know january 6th real <laughs> we have hearings about it they're they're doing an exceptional job of bringing evidence you know we've had incidents in this country and i think about some of the outlandish things that have been said by the likes of madison cawthorn who you know shout out to getting his ass handed to him in the primary good day and good luck sir uh but marjorie taylor green uh lauren bobert who who won you know against her um primary bear come on bobert don't, don't give me this bobert. bobert french thing it's bobert bobert yeah whatever uh, we spent <laughs> enough time on her last name go ahead continue fine but um we're seeing people who have said things that I would argue are even more absurd than what's happening in England. But England, you know, as always, comes forward. I mean, they are very vocal about where they stand with their politicians. And the Conservative Party just started leaving in mass. And that was the that was the beginning of the sign. And it's an interesting parallel because in the United States, we've seen Republicans that didn't side with Trump that had started to leave. You know, some just didn't seek re-election, for example, like Charlie Dent. Um, and recently going to be Adam Kinzinger. And but it's interesting because in England, the number that sizable people leaving the party or stepping away from office was a sign that the party had to be corrected and the leader of the party had to leave. In America, the Republicans, at least a sizable portion of them, like Kevin McCarthy, for example, doubled down on leadership right. and lost the presidency when Donald Trump lost. Um, and it's a very, it just, that's the thing I've been sitting with the most is, you know, England is just having this cleansing effect right now, recognizing perhaps Brexit was a bad idea and it's continuing to cost leaders their positions. In the US, there's a rallying cry for you know, for 2024, which I don't think is going to work out at this point, but just so different, so different in, in our reactions to really just buffoonery, you know, from the top office. Yeah. Um, I, I heard a couple of things <clears throat> across the media spectrum when people were talking about Boris Johnson stepping down and, and kind of the similarities. But I thought the funniest thing was uh, if, if you close your eyes and listen to this, you'll be like, hey, that sounds like somebody. Uh, Johnson was born in New York. Uh, his actual full name is Alexander Boris de, de Freffel Johnson, if that's how you pronounce the third name. He grew up in Brussels. He attended a private boarding school. Um, so he, he he was part of this notoriously elitist Bullingdon Club uh, that that also former Prime Minister David Cameron was a part of. So here he is as part of this elite uh, New York born guy, grew up somewhere else, went to a private boarding school. And then somehow he's talking to like this working class people. Out there. Who does that sound like, Nick? Uh, I can't uh, I can't put it's my head. Sound, you know, call me crazy. No, 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 there no. That was, a, rhetor the, that okay. was a rhetorical <laughs> question. This guy used rhetorical. to own property in Atlantic City. No, but, no, no, that was yeah. a rhetorical question. Uh, <laughs> special relationship. The U.S. Uh, released some stuff talking about, you know, that they will support the U.K. and 
and whatever and continue this special relationship so more on whatever comes out of that uh, in the coming weeks as we'll have somebody on to, t- to discuss more foreign policy related news speaking of special relationship that nick and i have over 25 years of, of friendship and we are going to be doing a live show in october oh, you're, you're announcing this that's right in Holy october smokes. in dc a live show uh for the people out there more information coming on that we're going to have a bunch of surprise guests uh we already have a few guests lined up in the political space reporters journalists uh, former uh spokesperson uh and we have a, a couple potential sitting members of congress that will be on a full live show from dc october 27th we'll be announcing time and tickets will be free it will be open to the public so if you're in the dc area we will see you in october but first if you want to see us on youtube you can check out all of the video from our show head over to youtube type in can we please talk podcast um audio podcast platforms you know them by now please leave us a five-star review a comment across all of them shout out to Acast, our hosting platform we couldn't do it without them and we could never ever ever do it without the people that hit me up let's say i listen to your show all the time i can't thank you enough for what you're doing and for the people that call us government propaganda we love you too as always i am mike leon special shout out to muhammad gafour uh please i see you attending at mamani's hospital in brooklyn fan of the show i promised i would shout him out on this episode um folks we're bringing the ruckus to dc get ready oh, that's gonna get it <laughs> see everybody next time uh, bye flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.